Hi, I'm Jeremiah Johnston. Here's the podcast for The Jeremiah Johnston Show. And don't forget, if you want your question read on the live show, go ahead and send it to me at www.askjjj.com. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome to The Jeremiah Johnston Show, combining cutting-edge biblical scholarship with meaningful, thought-provoking discussions and practical answers to your questions. It's time to own your faith and be a Christian thinker with our host, author, Bible scholar, apologist, and president of the Christian Thinker Society, Dr. Jeremiah Johnston. Hey, welcome to the program. This is Jeremiah Johnston. I'm delighted to have you rolling with us today. I have just returned from outstanding Christian Thinker Society events in Miami, Florida. I want to encourage you to be sure and connect with me on social media so you can follow the roadshow of this radio program across the United States. Hey, grab a Bible, turn it to 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to be studying a very important passage today because the message that I have for you in this program is so close to my heart. Just a week ago, I presented a message especially dedicated because it is Suicide Prevention Month. There's so many things we need to learn from the message today. So again, grab something to write with. This is a message that every single person in the church needs to hear, and we probably need to study. So get ready, grab your Bible. This is going to be a great program, and buckle your seatbelt. God has a message for you today on the show. Great to have you with us. We're in the sermon series called Questions I'd Like to Ask God, and we've been going through the questions together. Um, And then there was a hiccup. Uh, Last Sunday morning, 6 a.m. in the morning, my father passed away, and I have no idea how we got through last week's service, but we did. And, um, but I knew that I would not be able to preach this Sunday. I've been preparing my dad's eulogy for tomorrow's memorial service, and um, and so we called in the Calvary. And uh, we have uh, an expert on our last topic uh, right in our midst here in the West Houston area. So today we're going to talk about uh, suicide. And uh, Dr. Jeremiah Johnston is here. Uh, He's an amazing uh, speaker of God. Um, Years ago, he was at Oxford University. He's got four degrees. He was at Oxford University. And he decided to form something he called the Christian Thinkers Society. He thought 50 people would show up. A thousand people showed up. Uh, And there's a hunger to think about the kind of things that we're talking about, these questions, and uh, you're just going to really enjoy them. Would you give me a hearty welcome uh, with Dr. Jeremiah Johnson? (laughs) Thank you, Pastor Jim. Thank you all so much. I have admired this church for some time, and I so love your pastor and his family, Pastor Jim. You all are so blessed to have a wonderful shepherd leading this congregation. And my heart has been going out to your pastor all week. My dad's my best friend, and I can, we're praying for you as you give that eulogy tomorrow. And um, God bless you, Pastor Jim, and your family, amazing family. Um, friends, I'm so excited to be here today, and I believe God wanted, us to, wanted me to gather here today to continue this dynamic series that comes right from the heart of your pastor, Seven Questions I'd Like to Ask God. And as Pastor referenced, um, when I thought 50 people would show up, and my wife has never let me live that down, by the way, me of big faith, um, I was amazed because we did something that was unique 
unique at the time. We Skyped in a scholar from Tübingen, Germany, a skeptic who I would interface with. And then my wife, Audrey, said, now you're going to speak shorter. And all God's people said, amen. And then we're going to open it up to the audience to text in their unanswered questions. And you're going to have to answer it hot on the spot. I said, thank you, honey. Have any of you ever done that with no preparation? Take whatever question people offer. I was a nervous wreck. You can actually go on our social media. We have a hilarious kind of blooper video. And you can tell in that first event, I'm very nervous to take those unanswered questions. Do you all want to hear the first question that I was ever asked at a CTS event? This individual texted in, and this came up on the screen. I mean, they didn't like my haircut. They'd say that. They didn't, you know, there was no censorship, okay? And we had skeptics, all kinds of unique people in the audience. Uh, Jeremiah, if God created everything and called it good, Genesis 131, I thought, oh my, uh, why can't I smoke pot? (laughs) You see me just die. (laughs) And now I just spoke in Portland, Oregon, and and people there were like, well, what was the answer? Because, you know, they literally sell marijuana (laughs) next to the church in Oregon. Um, That's not my topic today, but check, I just give that as a little commercial. That's why you may like our radio show or some of the things. We we discuss these questions uh, because these are the trending questions of the day. And after being texted 30,000 questions now at our live events, the number one question that I have been asked from followers of Jesus, no matter the country, no matter the denomination, is relates to suicide and mental health in the Christian life. And so I'm right now asking God's Spirit to speak through me in the spirit of Jeremiah 8, verse 22, that my words today, built on the Word of God, would be like the balm of Gilead to every single one of you listening to my voice here in this worship center today and those of you who are joining us online as well through online church. I'm praying that you will leave here today filled with hope because we are in the midst, and leaders define reality, friends. We are in the midst of an epidemic right now in our country called suicide. Suicide is at a 30-year high in our nation. And it's amazing when you think about our interconnectivity. We've never been more connected, and yet we've never been more lost or lonely or isolated. And I can tell you this first and foremost as a father. This issue gets my undivided attention, and I do want to introduce you to my family, my little church. Um, We live over in Richmond, and my wife, Audrey, and I have five children, ladies and gentlemen. And I just want to give you a little disclaimer in this series about asking God questions and praying for unanswered questions. We were unable to get pregnant for five years, okay? So be careful when you pray about these unanswered questions. We had Lily Faith, she goes to Fort Bend Christian Academy, Justin is seven, and then my wife said we were going to have one more child, and then we went to the sonogram, and it was like the sonogram specialist was breaking out in Michael Jackson, he said, A, B, C, one, two, three, you have triplets, and do you want to know what my reality has been? Well, first off, we haven't slept in three years, so we need your (laughs) prayers, Um, we've been changing at its height 700 diapers a month, okay? I just have to get that off my chest, okay? They don't give you a manual when you leave Texas Children's Hospital NICU for these things. You just find them out. I have a friend, he's kind of got a unique sense of humor. He, He did the math. He said, that means you're changing diapers about 24 hours per month. I said, well, that's probably about right, give or take a few hours. So, Uh, It does get my undivided attention when I talk about this issue, especially when we think about the fact that suicide is the second leading cause of death among children and teenagers age 10 to age 19. 
And I want to say something right at the outset. Speaking intelligently about suicide to our children and our teenagers does not cause suicide to happen. It prevents it from happening. When you speak in a conversant and intelligent way, it gives teenagers and young children permission to ask for help and to share their heart. Not talking about it can have disastrous consequences. The statistics show us, and I'm, I'm sure you're aware of them, so I'm not gonna go through many, but one out of four people here this morning is suffering from a mental health condition. In fact, um, a, general, a Christian psychiatrist out of Austin, Texas, has done the research that 48% of the global population, so one out of two, right, will at one time in your life struggle with a mental illness. And yet, we never hear it talked about at church. Have you noticed that? And I'm not speaking, this church is amazing. This church is incredible. You're doing series on questions we need to talk about. But in most churches, Christians are suffering in silence. And they feel the sharp edge of stigma because we never hear this subject discussed. What does the Bible have to say with it? Well, would it surprise you to learn that the scriptures, the word of God, have much to say about right thinking, thinking well, mental health. The Bible is a great book on mental health. Did you know that? It's a great way to check your mental wellness this morning. And so I want to encourage you in what Pastor Jim, under his authority, has been saying God is a big boy, ladies and gentlemen. He can take your toughest question. And if everything we say is true about the eternal word of God and the Holy Spirit within us and the strength of the church, no question is off limits. And yet many of us have grown up in a church tradition, you know, don't ask, just believe. Or check your brain at the door. Don't ask questions, be quiet. And as Lee Strobel wrote in the foreword to my book, Unanswered, a dear friend of mine of 20 years now, his road to atheism was paved with unanswered questions and pharisaical Christians that didn't even want to have the conversation. And so today, when we look at the ministry of Jesus, and I'm a historical Jesus scholar by training, a great Bible study that you can do, you may not be aware of this, is to go through and just simply do a Bible study on the 322 questions that Jesus of Nazareth asks in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Did you know Jesus asked 300 questions? I think of one right now in Mark chapter 9, when the father is overcome with the problems of his son, and the dad goes, Lord, if you can do anything. And one of those 300 questions, Jesus responds in verse 22, if I can. Don't you love that? The prince of peace, the person who created the world as we know it. If I can, everything is possible to the one who believes. Friends, you can bring your questions to God. Now, I want to read to this morning and teach out of 2 Timothy chapter 1. We have the notes in your worship guide. These are going to be notes I want you to keep, so don't leave them in the pocket in front of you. We have some very important immediate steps outside of the exegetical payoff that we will receive from God's Word. Of course, the Apostle Paul meets Timothy in his missionary journeys. Where was Timothy from? Do you remember Bible student? In Greek, it's Lustra. We would call it Lystra. And Paul goes to Lystra in Acts 14. And then we, he goes back in Acts 16. And we see there that he meets a young man by the name of Timothy who is not circumcised because he has an unbelieving Greek father. But it does say that Timothy, from his birth, from childhood, had been taught the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. 
In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, we actually get the name Eunice, his grandmother, and his mother, Lo, excuse me, Lois, his grandmother, his mother Eunice, who had been teaching him the scriptures since birth. So that's the context. We always want to make sure we capture the context. And remember, in biblical interpretation, scripture corroborates scripture. Scripture interprets scripture. And so there we have the context, but Paul is writing to Timothy his final words. Paul will be executed. I've been in the very place where he was held in Rome in the Mamertine prison writing these very words to Timothy. Timothy, I must write to you, and he begins in verse 3, I thank God with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did, when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Wow, what a great way to begin a letter to someone. Remembering your tears, your passion. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Listen to the great legacy of faith in this young man's life. I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am convinced is in you also. Therefore, here, here we get good now, I remind you to rekindle the charisma, the gift of God that is within you, that you receive through the laying on of my hands, for God has not given us a spirit, this is beautiful now, of fear. God has not given us a spirit of cowardice that would shrink back from the difficult issues in our life. No, God has given you his Holy Spirit, which is a spirit of power, of love, and of sound judgment. Now pause right there. I hear an echo when I read the New Testament. I put on my first century eyes as if I was sitting there with Timothy and Lois and Eunice. He had been taught literally, three, 2 Timothy 3.15 says, from childhood, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which make you wise for salvation. Paul keeps repeating, Timothy was imbued with the Bible. He was imbued with the Old Testament as Jesus would have taught from. And you know what we would have heard if we were young Timothy? Paul uses the same Greek word for fear that pops up in the Old Testament Greek Septuagint, and most of the Old Testament that's used in the New, just so you know, is quoted from the Greek Old Testament. And Paul writes to Timothy, there's 138,000 words in the Greek New Testament. So when I see a new word pop up, it kind of gets my attention. What's Paul getting at? He says, "Do not have God has not given us a spirit of delia, fear, now, where is that word used in the Old Testament? Well, guess what? This is where this interesting echo comes in. It comes to us from Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. The commissioning of Joshua. Can't you see Timothy studying this passage with Lois and Eunice numerous times? God says to Joshua, and Paul knew this, writing this letter, have I not commanded you, Joshua, be strong and courageous? Oh, you know this verse, church family. Do not be Deliah, do not be afraid. Do not be cowardice of the challenge that is before you right now. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And so when we come to a crossroads of a very difficult challenge, a challenge of suicide, the challenge of mental wellness, where one out of four in our congregation are struggling with a mental health condition. Absolutely, many people in this room today have had thoughts of suicide. I minister to you today in the spirit of the balm of Gilead under the authority of 2 Timothy 1.7 that God has not given us this spirit of cowardice to shrink back now 
In fact, how do we, how do, what is the antidote right now to the challenge you're facing? Well, it's right here in the Bible in verse 6. Rekindle the gift of God that is in you. And then he goes on in verse 8. Do not be ashamed of the Lord and of my testimony. What did he tell Timothy? I mean, isn't it great how Scripture speaks? What did he tell Timothy in the previous passage, in the previous book in 1 Timothy 4.14? Stir up the gift. It's what we were singing about in worship. So we need to stir up that gift. We need to keep kindling that gift and stoking the fire. That is the antidote to the spirit of fear in our life. And then he goes on in verse 8. Do not be ashamed of the Lord and of my testimony. What did he tell Timothy? I mean, isn't it great how Scripture speaks? What did he tell Timothy in the previous passage, in the previous book in 1 Timothy 4.14? Stir up the gift. It's what we were singing about in worship. So we need to stir up that gift. We need to keep kindling that gift and stoking the fire. That is the antidote to the spirit of fear in our life. The Word of God speaks. And so, friends, my prayer today as we answer this question, is suicide the unforgivable sin? We do so not shrinking back with cowardice, asking God to forgive us for our silence and for our inattention to what I believe now, and as I write in your notes and your bulletin, this is the number one apologetics question of our day. You know, people had different questions in the second century Christianity. They thought Christians were atheists because they didn't worship the emperor. They thought Christians were cannibals because they didn't understand the Lord's table. People have different questions today. And so if we're going to be apologists, if we're going to have an answer for our faith, we have to make sure that our faith today connects up well with the questions culture is asking. And in my opinion, this question gives us the greatest opportunity to see revival as we prayed for in Katy, Texas. If we can get this question right, if we can get all the Pharisees out of the room, because remember, why do people not talk about mental health in the church? Don't forget this adage. Use it in your Bible studies. Christians, we don't gossip. We just share prayer requests. <laughs> and all God's people said, amen. I don't want to be that guy that's a prayer request that everybody's gossiping about and not really praying for. If we get this question right, revival can happen, and I believe it with all my heart. I want to share with you about one of the most notorious suicide spots in the world. It's actually in uh, the Deepwater Harbor of Sydney, Australia. It's called The Gap, if you've been to Australia. It's surrounded by multi-million dollar homes, and individuals buy one-way airline tickets to go to this place with suicidal ideation to take their lives. Isn't it interesting that there was a man who lived at the Gap by the name of Don Ritchie? And Don did something spectacular in his story as a sermon illustration for us this morning. He would put on his bathrobe. He wasn't even dressed for the day. And he would look out on the Gap. Now, by the way, notice how small, and that's not a big barrier, by the way, to the edge of the cliff. He would see if somebody was loitering just a little too long alone. He would put on his robe. He would walk out as quick as he could. And he would just say, hey, my name's Don. Do you want to come have some tea? You know, Don just passed away. He was given the Order of Australia, the highest civilian honor. And his son said in his funeral, my dad saved over 500 lives from jumping. In fact, one of the individuals who he intervened with wrote, uh, drew a beautiful, uh, painted a beautiful painting of the gap with an angel For Don, the angel of the gap, an angel walks among us. I'm praying that every one of us will leave here today 
with the spirit of Don Ritchie who sold vacuums, sold kitchen appliances, didn't have four degrees, didn't have a psychiatry background. He practiced something that I want to teach on this morning called the ministry of presence. Can you say that word presence out loud with me? Presence. The ministry of being present. That is the immediate step. When you know somebody is hurting, do not leave them alone. Do not leave them alone. Practice the ministry of presence. And let me tell you why we need it. We're living in a time where there is a clash of biblical worldview. I've studied this extensively. Do you know there are secular, secularist and secular thinkers that wish religion, but make no mistake, they wish Christianity would just go away. The world would be a much better place if we could get rid of these Christians. It's the Christians who are impeding progress. Oh, really? Well, I wrote a book called Unimaginable, What the World Would Be Like Without Christianity, to simply help every Christian answer this question that we need to be proud of the great impact that Christianity makes in our world. My publisher told me to stop sending examples of how Christianity is changing the world right now. They had enough for one book. 40 pages of single-space notes in the back, but you need to know, if you're going to be a Christian thinker, what some of these other leading thinkers are saying. Peter Singer, a leading ethicist, you can see him in the Ivy League schools, is teaching and publishing that, you know what, we need to stop basing our ethics on the idea that human beings are this special form of creation made in the image of God, special from all other creation, we need to stop doing that. In other words, it's just law of the jungle, two-legged animals, law of the jungle applies. He's not alone. Richard Dawkins, in his book, The Blind Watchmaker, on page 133, writes his worldview, in which, again, this man has sold millions of copies of his book, The universe has precisely the properties we should expect if, are you ready for this? Go home and read this to your children tonight. The world is at bottom, has no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Friends, I was speaking to a group of students this year at Florida Gulf Coast University, and I had an experience, and I continue to have these experiences. This is why I hope to meet as many of you as I can. It keeps informing this message as it grows. A young man approached me and said, Jeremiah, would you pray for me? Listen to what he said. I am unlovable. I am unlovable. My heart broke for this young man. But I want to ask you a question. Why would someone not think this if this is what they're being taught in higher education? And we wonder why there's a suicide epidemic in the world and these kinds of messaging. Do you see why it's important you have a biblical worldview? Do you see why it's essential that we get beyond just Sunday morning Christianity and we can have a conversant, informed faith? And so, friends, I do want to invite you into my world for a moment. I want to answer this specific question. I've had the privilege to travel and speak around the country with a good friend of mine now, Kay Warren, whose son took his life, as I'm sure many of you are aware of. Um, And I, I want to show a video clip for you because... It really shows how much hurt there is in the church. And I want you to listen very carefully to the first few seconds of this video because a mom calls into the radio show. This is a Christian radio show. It's a safe space. It's a safe environment. And yet she does not feel comfortable to share her name. She's an anonymous caller. She has a question about her son, Brian, who's died by suicide. Let's check out the clip and listen closely. Um, thank you for taking my call. I just wondered if you could address mental illness and suicide. We lost our son 10 months ago. 
and he had a relationship with the Lord as a teenager. He was in his early 20s and had undetected mental illness. So I just wonder if you could address, are those people that have passed away and died this way with the Lord? Thank you. Oh, gosh. God bless you for that call. Thank you so much for your boldness and your courage to call in. And right now, God is using you to minister to hundreds and thousands of other people who are struggling with this question. I want you to know, Anonymous Caller, this is the number one question that I've been asked about suicide and mental illness. And I want to first speak specifically to your questions. Your son is with Jesus Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. Romans 8 says that. 2 Corinthians 5, 8, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And this is why it is so important. We have right theology and we understand scriptural teachings. There's a false teaching out there that says, first off, an authentic Christian can never be depressed false. Have you read the Bible lately? An authentic Christian can never struggle. False. Have you read the Bible lately? And Jesus literally said, my soul is utterly downcast in Matthew 14, 34, and 35. I feel like death. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I know I'm preaching right now, Janet. The apostle Paul says, I have the sentence of death within me right now. I don't even want to go on living. Janet, 25% of our pastors right now in the United States are struggling with chronic depression. And so what I love about that terrible statistic is it is bringing these taboo subjects of mental illness into sharper focus. So suicide and mental illness, it's not only common in our congregation, it has become common among our pastors. When I was finishing the final edit for Unanswered Lasting Truth for Trending Questions, I kid you not, 10 miles from where I was finishing the book, a pastor, 35 years here in Texas, very well known, took his life. Rick Warren's son, Matthew, took his life. The very first funeral I ever did as a young pastor, and I just love it how seminary does not train you for certain things. The first funeral I ever did was a completed suicide of a lady named Kim. I won't share her last name in our church and just encourage our caller. She blew away all these stereotypes. She was there on Sunday morning. She was there on Sunday night. She was there for Wednesday night prayer meeting. She had just been voted teacher of the year in the large public schools uh, in in the public school district in Kansas City. And one day in a bout of incredible depression, she went out and she took her life. And so I want to encourage you, nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. Your son is with the Lord right now. But you know what? There's some things that we need to understand as a church on how to speak to the mental illnesses and the invisible illnesses plaguing those in our congregations. There is only one sin that God will not and cannot forgive. And we learn about this sin in Mark chapter 3 and in the correlating passage in Matthew chapter 12, where Jesus talks about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. This is a sin that God cannot and will not forgive. And are you ready for what it is? The only sin that God cannot and will not forgive is the sin of rejecting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That is the unforgivable sin. The unforgivable sin is not suicide, ladies and gentlemen, and I want to be very clear. We have to be faithful to the Word of God. It doesn't matter what tradition you came out of. It is so important as Christian thinkers, as followers of Jesus, we make sure that our understanding of theology is in step with the scriptures. And you can go read Mark chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 12, and you can see very clearly, and I've outlined this in your notes, to commit this sin, you must consciously, persistently, deliberately, and maliciously reject the testimony of the Spirit to the deity and the saving power of Jesus Christ. And I want to say something very carefully, very, very carefully. The scriptures tell us 
that there is no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. Now, only God knows our hearts this morning. We don't know each other's hearts. Ultimately, only God knows those of us who have placed our true faith in him. But at the same time, we do have the word of God to guide us through these prickly, difficult issues. I was showing this video and speaking on this message in Tulsa, Oklahoma at a women's conference. And just to show you how silence kills when we don't discuss this, it allows the weeds of false teaching to grow up, and they grow up very quickly. Her husband pastored, and she said, Jeremiah, my husband took his life 13 years ago. She began to physically shake as I was meeting with her, praying for her, and she said, I'm going to go home, and I'm going to sleep for the first time tonight in 13 years. You see, some people at the church met with me, and they took a verse, they extracted it out of Scripture, and they said, some passage, obscure passage in the book of Isaiah, the righteous will be put down. See, your husband, he's now in hell. He committed the unforgivable sin. And she said, I have not heard anyone address it in 13 years. Thank you for showing me what the Bible says. Do you see how your words can bring life? I want to train you how to do that. There's four specific steps to answering this question of suicide and the intersection of mental wellness in the church. Step number one, friends, and I hope you're taking notes with us. This is, I think, a key. Step number one, more humility. You know, when, we're, when we don't speak about it, when we don't talk about it, it's a spirit of pride. You know, I don't even need to address that, but I happen to think that vulnerability is the superpower to reaching people who are struggling in a mental challenge today, and there are many of them. Do you know, if you're having a psychotic break, do you know that studies find the first place you call is a clergy, someone from the church? Do you see why we need to have this conversation in the halls of our churches. But the studies also show if you're having a psychotic challenge, a mental break, mental illness, you're gonna end up today, and by the way, the United States of America, sadly, is one of the worst places to live in the world if you're struggling with a mental health condition because you're gonna end up in one of two places, jail or the emergency room, or as the officer told me in between services, jail, or excuse me, the emergency room, and then jail. <laughs> so. We, we, I think there's a third way. I think the church can step in and minister, and that's why I praise God that this week is Suicide Prevention Week. This Tuesday is World Suicide Prevention Day. This month is Suicide Prevention Month, and your pastor and the leadership here have provided biblical counselors who are here today free of charge to talk with you and meet with you and encourage you. That is amazing. That is what every church in America needs to do. Do you agree with that? If you do, say amen, will you, so I can hear you. What an awesome step today. What an immediate step. There are other interesting steps we can do. I want to encourage you to save on your cell phone the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. I actually have it saved in my phone. That's a picture for my screenshot. And do you know that this is not just a line for you to call if you're personally struggling with suicide or suicidal thoughts, but if you know someone, there are 150 calls. Do you know what happens when you call this line? Go ahead and call it. Not right now. Call it, call it when you get home and just talk to the call center because if you have somebody in your life who's struggling, they're going to give you immediate ways to intervene. There's 150 call centers across America. Your call will be routed. You'll hear some music because they're routing you to the nearest call center to where you live. You can like the page on social media. Facebook, and I have to compliment this for them, they geo-track 
individuals who are saying suicidal thoughts and they immediate, online, and they immediately alert the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. We need more humility. I think humility and vulnerability is a superpower. I've had people meet me, and I just want to give you a collage of pictures. I was speaking in Tallahassee, or excuse me, in a, uh, uh, somewhere in Florida, and a group of ladies, if you can show the slide before this, met me. They're the wives of wounded warriors. They said, Jeremiah, never stop speaking about suicide. We're having two 9-11s a year Death-wise, body count, 6,000 veterans a year, 20 a day, taking their life. Don't ever stop talking about suicide. We need it. Here's another combat vet, the next slide. Tony, um, who met me, combat vet, special forces. Jeremiah, I've had thoughts of suicide. This is a new statistic coming right out of Washington, D.C. Do you know among our Delta Force, our special ops, think cream of the crop, men and women, two to three suicides a week right now among our special forces. We have to support our veterans. Um, Dominic Hickson, his beautiful, his beautiful family, has a green shirt. Won two Super Bowls with the New York football giants. Jeremiah, don't stop talking about this issue. Dennis, in the next photo, everyone in his unit died in Afghanistan. He decided after our CTS event on mental health, I'm going to go to that PTSD meeting that I've been avoiding. I do want to show you the picture of me with the gentleman, Paul Tan. He's, I'm holding the book on Christian psychotherapy. Uh, this man and I have spoken at many mental health conferences, and his book is excellent because he points out that the non-expert, meaning you might be here today thinking, you know, I'm not a psychologist, Jeremiah. I'm not a counselor. I don't, I, I'm not equipped. You're just as important in the healing equation. And his research in that book points out that non-experts are just as important as the experts in helping someone who's caught up in a challenge. So we really have no excuse. I could give you more examples, um, but let me give some immediate steps right now. Stop the silence. We have to stop whispering about mental illness in our churches. We need to start the conversation. Of course, this church is leading out doing that. Stop the shame and exclusion. I'll never forget when I was pastoring, a family met with me and they wanted to ask my permission to join our church. And I thought, you don't need to ask my permission. We have ministry covenants. You can come into the family. Any, all are welcome. She said, no, our daughter has bipolar and we were actually kicked out of our previous church because they said she was demon-possessed. Do you see the shame and the exclusion when we don't discuss these issues and how people suffer? And then finally, in, in point number one, the church must practice what Don Ritchie did, the ministry of presence, showing up, being present. So important to be present, to have the conversation. Secondly, and this is just as important for every one of you here who study the scriptures, you follow Jesus, I want to say this, you have to speak out against error and false teaching when you hear that. Did you know that? It's not just the job of Pastor Jim or the pastors here. When you hear false teaching, you need to speak out. If you want to know what Jude thought about false teaching, go read the 36 descriptors in one chapter of the small book of Job of what he thought about false teaching. Go read it. It's, he might have been the first Christian rapper. He thought of every bad thing he could say when he hears false teaching because it destroys lives. It sends people to hell. It causes people to stay in bondage. So you ought to speak up. And so how do we do that? Point number two, biblical interpretation skills matter. So again, when you've been asked questions, take them to the Word of God. We should not go to Google, we should go to God's Word. And all God's people said, amen. 
And so I have written a book, as you saw in the video, after being asked 30,000 questions. My number one question, suicide and mental health in the Christian life. My number two question, the silence of God. What do I do when God seems silent in my life? Number three, paranormal, spiritual activity. Um, What do we do with that? Do you know there are now more Wiccan witches than there are adherents to mainline Christian denominations? You can check that out, 1.6 million Wiccan witches. They're trending on Instagram. Number four, what's the Bible? How can I trust it? Fifthly, the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus. I wrote a 93,000-word thesis on the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus, and yet you know, every sermon in the book of Acts talks about resurrection. Most Christians get a deer-in-the-headlights look when you tell them to defend why they believe Jesus rose from the grave. Uh, and then the sixth question we discuss, again, biblical interpretation skills matter, um, evil, suffering, and pain, which is the number one reason that people walk away from the faith. And so this book was written, and I mentioned this, and I do want to say this in the last service because it resonated with a few people. When God puts a me- message in your heart, ladies and gentlemen, don't ever take no for an answer, okay? Um, when I realized that, I called it Church of the Invisible Diseases. We do intervention steps, coping mechanism. There's a book, there's a DVD. The Lord has used this. Do you know numerous publishers and the Christian, Christian publishers turned this book down? They would have published it had I taken out the mental health portion in the church. That's why I compliment the publisher back then that had the courage to say, no, we need to have this conversation in the church. And by the way, I've gotten numerous letters from these Christian publishers, some of whom you'd be familiar with saying, we were wrong. We need to have this conversation. The church can't be behind the times on this issue. Why does biblical interpretation matter? Because people are hurting, and you might encounter someone on the way home from work who's struggling, and God will cause you to intervene. I wanna show you a picture um, that I think is a sermon. You might even want to take out your cell phone and take a picture of this photograph because this photograph is a sermon illustration. Long story short, we've done three events in London. I have a passion for the United Kingdom. Christian th- lived in Oxford, as Pastor mentioned. And I was on the way last time for our event, and I still get the news headlines on my phone. And this picture showed up on my phone, Golders Green, North London, Good Samaritans hold on to man for two hours after he threatens to jump from the bridge. This gentleman, and if you've been to London, you know how difficult it is to cross the street. You know, pedestrians don't have the right of way. You know, you will get ran over by one of those cabbies. I think that context is important because this young man chose one of the busiest intersections in North London. It must have taken some effort to get to the other side of the bridge But what happened next can only be described as that God consciousness that is in every human soul. All of these individuals you are looking at were walking home on that footbridge from work that day. And what they did next is amazing. They collapsed around this man. I mean, look at this photograph. You don't think God is sovereign? Someone had a rope going home from work that day. Can you see the intensity with which they're holding this man? I've got his belt. I've got a lasso. I'm holding him up on his neck. Don't let him go. I've got him by the calf muscles. Ladies and gentlemen, how many of you know sometimes we need to be saved from ourselves? That could be you on that bridge. That could be our son, daughter, our best friend, our pastor, somebody that you would never think was that type. And these individuals hold on for two hours. This young man was determined. Sometimes we need to save people from themselves. You can have the ministry of presence. 
you can respond with more humility. We can show what the Bible truly says. And then thirdly, I want you to know we're ministering in a post-Christian world where most people find it difficult to believe there's a God who loves them. I've sat with many young people who don't believe God loves them. How could God love me? And friends, we have this amazing microphone called the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we need to take it to the ends of the earth. And we need to not stop telling people, God loves you infinitely. You have great value in God's eyes. You're not valued by what you look like or your bank account or your position or your social economic status. You are valuable because God created you in his image. And you have eternal value, so much so he sent his only begotten son to die for you. What is the force of the Greek? A world that had its fist stretched out toward God, that cosmos. God loved you when you didn't love him back. And he sent his son. People find it difficult to believe God loves them. Start there. If you want to start with the message, you need to say, God loves you and so do I. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, John 13, 35, that you love one another. And we need to love people, hear me very carefully, when they are at their worst. And it's hard to do. Oh, it's hard to do. Some people have had lifelong struggles with serious mental illnesses. Keep loving. Keep being the spirit of Jesus. Fourthly, How can we respond to what I think is the most important question of our time? It is not a sin to ask for help. Can I just join with Pastor Jim and give you permission to ask for help today? We have gone to great effort today to have counselors here, pastors, individuals willing to pray for you and just talk with you, not single you out, but pray for you. Because, friends, if you could see the room today like God sees it, you would see no one is untouched by this issue. It's not a sin to question our faith. Not seeking qualified help often and will if you don't. If you, stay in that, if you stay in that quicksand, it will eventually lead to spiritual and mental paralysis. Don't stay there. Ask for help. I close with this great story for you to remember. And I talk about it in depth and unanswered, but I want to share it in brevity with you today. When I lived in the UK, a good friend of mine said, you've got to go out and see the great Christian history sites. And near Oxford, near Milton Keys, is a little village by the name of Only, O-L-N-E-Y. And William Cooper, the great poet, lived in Only, United Kingdom, okay? And William Cooper, Benjamin Franklin loved his poetry. Cooper is honored today in Westminster Abbey with a beautiful window pane. Um, He wrote great poetry, but he also was a great hymn writer. But many people didn't realize, and you may not realize this, some of the greatest Christians from the historical past had debilitating struggles with anxiety and depression. In fact, William Cooper, this is the actual museum. You, You drive right by and not even know it was the John Newton William Cooper Museum. You can go there today and you can see what I'm talking about. William Cooper... Uh, had just been checked out of St. Albane's Insane Asylum after spending seven years there in a mental illness. And he had a new pastor in town, and his pastor was someone who the world knows today. He knocked on his door, said, I'm the new rector in town. My name is John Newton. William, can I come in and meet with you? You know what's amazing? 
John Newton didn't ostracize William Cooper because of his depression or anxiety. He embraced him in the church. And he said, hey, let's write hymns together. And oh my gosh, how I hope someday we can time travel in heaven. I want to go back to that New Year's Day men's Bible study, 1773, when William Cooper and John Newton show up at their men's group, and they say, you know, we were feeling particularly inspired. We wrote some lyrics. Can I just share them? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Many people don't realize Amazing Grace, originally published in a hymnal called The Only Hymns, Yes, John Newton was the author and had a co-author by the name of William Cooper, a man that society had forgot, but the church didn't. And what was the presence of God in his life and William Cooper's life, his pastor and his church? Oh, you know William Cooper. You've quoted him. Have you ever said God works in mysterious ways? That's William Cooper in his poetry. There's a fountain filled with blood. Oh, for a closer walk with thee, William Cooper. So I don't know where you're at in the story this morning, but as I close and as the pastor leads us in a time of decision, you might need to leave here today and be a John Newton in someone's life. I pray you will. You'll just say, God can use you right where you're at right now. Even in your struggle, God can use you. And I want to be with you and see and watch him. I want to be your biggest cheerleader. You also might be a William Cooper here today. Perhaps you've been struggling and no one in this church even knows. I want you to hear you don't need to be on the sideline anymore. Practice the ministry of presence. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love, of power, and of a sound mind. Hey, it's Jeremiah Johnston with some final thoughts. And we have so many questions that have been submitted. We're going to get to those next week. Thank you so much for giving me your question. AskJJJ.com. Friends, a sermon, do you know what the word sermon means in the Latin? It truly means a word from the Lord. And I believe with all my heart that this message today has been a sermon in its fullest sense, a word from the Lord for all of us. Isn't that great to study Second Timothy chapter 1 and that beautiful echo from Joshua chapter 1, the Lord is with us wherever we go. And guess what? As Christians, we don't have to have a spirit of fear to ever address any subject. All truth is God's truth, and God has given us his word, his absolute truth. Hey, be sure and like this broadcast on social media. Be sure and share it. Thank you so much for the reviews. I have so many updates for you. So join my email list. Did you know that this program is now available everywhere? Podcasts are heard. I'm talking about Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Google Play. I welcome all of you from new audiences. And you know what? You rule the show. You get to submit those questions to me. And that's why we did an entire show today on suicide prevention and awareness. So be sure and like our social media. We're just a few likes away from 20,000 at the Christian Thinkers Society Facebook page. I've got great free resources up there for you right now. So friends, stay with us. I'm so excited for this show. I'm excited for the response that God's already giving us. God bless you. We'll see you next time on the Jeremiah Johnston Radio Show.
Hi, I'm Jeremiah Johnston. Thanks for listening to the podcast from The Jeremiah Johnston Show. I definitely want to hear from you, so if you have a follow-up question from today's program, you can submit it to me at www.askjjj.com. You'll also see how you can connect with us from there across social media. And don't forget, these conversations are available because of listener support. And you can make a gift right now to the Faith Radio Network at www.myfaithradio.com. And to avoid missing future editions of The Jeremiah Johnston Show, please subscribe to the podcast at iTunes. You can do a Google Play RSS feed. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of the program.